0: As we prepare to hear the message, let's say together a prayer as we hear the scriptures. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Amen. Our first reading is from Exodus chapter 24, verses 12 to 18. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses set out with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up into the mountain of God. To the elders he had said, wait here for us until we come to you again for Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has to dispute may go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the cloud, Now, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up the mountain. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Our New Testament reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. They fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one. ABOUT THE VISION UNTIL AFTER THE SON OF MAN HAS BEEN RAISED FROM THE DEAD. THIS IS THE WORD OF THE LORD.
1: Thanks be to God. I'M GOING TO COMMENT ON HOW WELL MO READS THE SCRIPTURE AGAIN. WELL, THAT'S AS GOOD AS MY JOKES ARE GOING TO BE TODAY. <laughs> DAVID AND VICKY, YOUR DAUGHTER COMES UP HERE EVERY SUNDAY, um, AND HERE'S THE KIDS' MINUTE. And I just love how she just lingers after. Everybody leaves, and then she has her dramatic exit by herself. Uh, I love a church that values children, and I love a church that invests in them. And so it is always good to have them be a part of what happens here. But I want to also share with you that what happens downstairs is an—it's uh, not just... We're taking care of the kids so that adults can have their church service, but we're hoping to do what the Bible tells us to pass on our faith well to the next generation. Amen. And so I thank the Lord for those who serve faithfully and work so diligently with our children. Uh, as has been noted by Helen, I'm not feeling my best. And so I thought. Is this a Sunday morning where we do testimony time? (coughs) Can't bring myself to it. And so if you will bear with me this morning, I will do my best to share what the Lord has laid on my heart. This is the Word of God given to us, this uh, book comprising 39 uh, books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. I was taught the scripture from a young age. Many of the scriptures I remember um, and memorize, I was taught in Afrikaans because my Sunday school teacher was Afrikaans speaking. And so um, sometimes I hear the English word and I remember it in Afrikaans. For anybody who's bilingual or trilingual, who speaks multiple languages, sometimes you know what it's like to hear a word and to hear a word. And so sometimes I hear it in the tongue in which I was taught to memorize it. I was taught to remember where it begins and where it ends. And it is certainly my hope and desire that I would be able to pass on what I have learned as a a child and a young person to my children. I've stressed to you over the last several weeks that we as Christians are a people of The whole Bible, that is not just the New Testament, uh, but the Old Testament. In fact, uh, Bible scholars will tell you that you cannot fully appreciate the New Testament unless you understand the Old Testament. But it is important, not only because we want to be a people of the whole Bible, but we believe that the New Testament somehow carries forward what has been begun in the old. Another way of saying it is, the New Testament fulfills that which God has begun. And so we do not discard the old as if it is irrelevant, but we learn the old and see in the old what the New Testament writers do repeatedly. In, in fact, when, when, you, when you start to study Scripture and And I want to invite you to come to those eight-week sessions. When you start to read Scripture with the old in mind, you start to see that New Testament authors repeatedly refer to the Old Testament. They are quoting Scripture. Jesus himself would reference the Old Testament repeatedly. And when you become attuned to this, when you read the New Testament, it comes alive in ways perhaps that goes beyond a cursory understanding and reading of it. If I could say this to you, we need help to read the Bible well. And while it is is good for us to to read it and say, well, anybody can read it, which is true, uh, there is something about disciplining oneself to, to read it within its context, within how God wants us to understand it. So, the new is not a departure from the old, but rather its fulfillment. In Matthew's gospel, which is written to appeal to a Jewish audience, for example, Matthew intends to show that Jesus is a descendant of David and Abraham, revealing a continuity between the old and the new. In fact, and this is just my little teaching segment before I preach, The connection of Jesus to the Old Testament in Matthew's gospel is so significant that it is one of the reasons Matthew and not Mark, which is the older gospel, appears as the first in our New Testament. It seems that. As the Bible was put together, those who put together our Scripture as we have it today has discerned the significance of the continuity between the old and the new of making sure that as we read these texts, we understand that God is fulfilling what He has once begun. More significantly, all of its fulfilling in the New Testament All of what the Old Testament had been pointing towards is fulfilled and summed up in one person, that is in Jesus Christ Himself. He is the one, according to His own word, who says this, I have come not to abolish the law, the prophets, but to fulfill it. And it is interesting in our particular text That the two people who appear on the Mount of Transfiguration is Moses, the giver of the law from Mount Sinai, and the preeminent prophet himself, Elijah. It is in this encounter in the transfigured state that Jesus is, that he is teaching his disciples that he, in fact, is bringing together both the fulfillment of the law and of the prophets. Uh, That that was good, I, I thought. But, Mo, what does this mean? Significant things happen on mountains in Scripture. Uh, I know that in this particular audience with the mountains in view, can we see it through the window? You can see no ill. But we know the great Rocky Mountains. Can you see it through that window? Don't make me come over there if you can see it. Just say yes. There's people who testify to going up mountains and having incredible experiences. The views are spectacular. There's something significant for many who go up mountains. Now, I've got to be honest, I don't like so much effort. Uh, (laughs) I do appreciate nature. But do you know that in the biblical narratives, mountains uh, are kind of considered to be the place where where God meets with these people. It is a a sense of divine encounter that you experience when you go up. In fact, the scripture in Exodus says that Moses went up the mountain because God invited him up and Jesus takes his disciples with him up on high to the mountain. But in both these particular cases, the mountaintop is not the end goal. It is not simply that we would go up to the mountain and remain there because what happens on the mountain is significant to what will come in the valley. It is when Moses goes up on the mountain and is enveloped in this cloud of glory that in 40 days and 40 nights, as the scripture says, the word is given to him, the law is given to him that will help the people to walk through the wilderness moving forward. In other words, Moses received something in this divine cloud of glory that would be for the people so that what the people would have is the law that would guide them, lead them direct them through the wilderness experience themselves. Moses, don't stay on the mountain. Come down with the word because the people need the word in order to go through what will come next. Uh, Jesus, on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, transfigured in their presence. His face alights like the sun. His clothes like dazzling light. They are enamored by it, blown away by it, and says, let's stay here. And he says, no, we must go down. Because the revelation of Jesus on the mountain to these men was not only for them and this moment, but it would be for all people, and it would be an essential to how they will live their life. Now, I'm struggling a little bit this morning, but hey, I figured I've banked some good sermons before, so you can let me ride on this one. If you're new to us that is my sense of humor. Uh, I've had many experiences uh, in the church. Last, last night, I was talking to my son, and I asked him, Luke, uh, have you ever experienced something glorious, wonderful? You know, uh, uh, maybe transcendent is the word that I used. And he's very honest. is you're super smart. Like, it's actually scary to me. Um uh, and we talked about this idea of transcendence. And he kind of, and I'm going to articulate what I think he was saying to me. He he said, he said. we kind of talked back and forth. And I think we actually agreed on a few things. He said, sometimes in our culture, everything that we can know, we measure. We think that empirical evidence is the only way to discern anything that is true. And there's a sense in which when you live your life in this calculated ways... You, 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 you're not open to the divine revelation of God that transcends the ordinary. That in fact, scripture texts like this seem so far-fetched to the modern Western mind because we cannot presume that something can blow the categories of our own understanding. And yet the scripture repeatedly tells us that this great God appears to man, reveals himself in this glorious way, and in some ways invites us to experience his very glory. To be Christian is to be more than just good people. It is to experience the very presence of God. This word glory, kavot in the Old Testament and doxa in the New has this connotation of being heavy and full and dense and in some ways overwhelming. And it is amazing that on the mountain Moses alone would enter this very presence of God. It seems that even in the old God has invited man to know him in the most intimate way. And when we settle for a no that is uh, devoid of his presence, we do not really know him. For what he gives to us is far more than many settle to receive. Have you experienced his presence? This is not in my notes. But do you know this great God? The mountaintop itself is not the end goal, but of course... It is God's word given to Moses and God's word given through Jesus. You see, God's purpose in the Exodus text is to let people know that God has given his law to Moses so that they would trust the words of Moses. In just a few chapters before our chapter, God says this to him. I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud in order that the people may hear when I speak with you and so trust you ever Similarly, God makes his choice of Jesus known to the disciples who are with him. This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. And then deviating from what he said at Jesus' baptism, he adds this word, listen to him. The mountaintop is the place of God's giving of his word so that God's people would have his word and listen to his word what he said on the mountain is given to prepare us in such a way that we would be those who become attentive to the one who fulfills the law and gives us the way of life. The voice of God to the disciples echoes the words he spoke earlier at Jesus' baptism. But, But with this addition of listen to him, he's now saying that the one who stands before you is fulfilling what no Israelite could do before. He is becoming your very hope. He is becoming your very destiny. He is becoming your very Savior. Listen to his words. Ah, the Mount of Transfiguration. It reveals the authority Jesus has, unlike Moses. While the law is given to Moses to give to others, Jesus becomes its very fulfillment. And what he speaks to this day to the community of faith still enables us to find life even in the desert." Maybe very pastoral. I've heard this said. Now, you're, you're still with me. It's not my best day. I'm so glad you love me. Isn't that the, isn't that the, uh, the token of true love? We love you even at your worst, too. <laughs> Some of you are shaking your head, do not <laughs> I had a good point before that. I'm blaming it on the medication. Uh, but, but, but can I come back and be pastoral? Uh, 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 I heard, I heard a, a, a really significant leader in our denomination talk about African-American preachers. And he described them as follows. He said, you know, uh, unlike some of the preachers that I am familiar with and that I am, he says, African-American preachers, you know, preach differently. And he, he says, I'm going to use the example of trying to sell a house to explain it. He says, you know, some preachers come and, They'll say to you, this house was built in 1959. Its foundation, this size, this depth, the furnace is five years old, new, and has insurance. Uh, the walls were crafted with this particular wood and, and, and the studs was made from this particular wood. You can be assured that this house will stand. He says, but African-American preachers, When they try and sell you a house, they say to you, come on onto the porch, sit down on the swing, overlook that oak, imagine a tire swing and your child having a time of their life. When I listened to this text, I said to myself, I'd love to teach people so much about it. I want them to understand the context, the law, the significance of assent and dissent. I felt the overwhelming sense of God's Spirit to me is to do exactly that, is to have us taste what God is inviting us to experience. You see, we as the church are not afraid of experiencing God, but we've become afraid we have measured the ways in which we can do church, but perhaps this God that cannot be contained on a mountain and is revealed in the person of Christ desires so much more for you and me. An experience of him that is no longer limited to only Moses or the mountain, but through Christ is made available to all. The glory on Moses' face would fade but the glory in Christ would last, and it is given so that we may know God. Do you know him? Have you experienced his presence? Have you moved beyond an intellectual, which is important, understanding of text and scriptures and liturgy? Have you, in faith, apprehended what Moses experienced and what Jesus gives to his disciples, have you come into the place, the high place, if you will, of knowing him as he makes himself known still today? Now, I like Peter. Peter is more like me than I dare to admit. As Jesus is transfigured and his face shines and his clothing becomes bright, Uh, Peter says, let's build a place. Let's stay here. Moses is here. Elijah is here. And you are here. And more significantly, I am here. It is as if Peter is quoting a song that I heard growing up. Heaven came down and glory filled this place. You see, maybe Peter thought that this is it. It is being fulfilled right now that the experience of God's glory is all that there is in this very moment. The glory that Moses knew is now here for me and for, for two of my colleagues. And, and, and we are with the big three. But did you catch it? it? It literally says this in the text. As he was still making his building plan. I loved how you read the text this morning. I felt it. (laughs) It's like as he's still, there's two engineers right here. I got to speak to them. As he was still drafting the tabernacle outlines and and where Jesus was going to be and Elijah was going to be and Moses, that God interrupts and says, you're missing the point again. You're settling for what I am not offering to you. You are living in the Old Testament without realizing what I'm going to do in the New. You see, the Old makes way for the New. The Old says perhaps that glory is confined to Moses in a mountaintop experience. But here in our text, we read that Jesus is saying, no, we must still go down because the glory will not be contained in that place, but it is now found in Jesus and all. All who go with Jesus experiences the glory of God you can leave the mountain because even when you're in the valley he is with you the glory does not fade the glory is given not on the Mount of Sinai or on the Mount of Transfiguration but on a little hill called Golgotha where Jesus gives his life entirely and opens the glory of God to all who would come to know him he is is the truth, he is the life, and he is the way. And he invites all to experience God in his fullness if we would but come down the mountain with him and allow him to take us all the way to Calvary. This is the Christ that makes more possible than we dare to believe. This is the Jesus who says, no more veiled entrances, no more selective people that passes you on to another, but God himself in Christ has opened the curtains and says, come know me and be saved. Come experience me and be liberated. What the law could not do and what the prophets echoed, I now make true. I am the way to knowing God. Come, all who are weary, all who are burdened, all who are tired, all who are weak, come know him. Come know him. I didn't think I'd get excited today. <laughs> In fact, you know when your, your head is like, you know, like cold, full, like, you know. I was reading my notes this morning. I was like, nothing makes sense, Doug. What was I thinking when I wrote this is what I thought. I'm not even saying that for a joke. It's true. And the very thing that I preach towards, I asked myself, Stu, do you... Do, 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 do? <laughs> what kind of faith do you have, Stu? Is it, is it the faith that believes that what you preach is only true for the people? But if it's true for you, then you too, this morning, stand with the people and say, God, may I know your glorious presence <laughs> Listen, I... I can counsel you, and I'll pray for you, and I'll help you, and I'll direct you, but what you most need is an encounter with God Himself. Listen, let me just say it very plainly to you, as theological and as academic, and as all the things that I can say to you, nothing changes a life more than being in the presence of God. Listen, I know this to be true. Saints of old have done this, proven it to be true. Mrs. Norcia had a disposition about herself that says, I met with God, and when I saw her, I knew there was something something definitively, qualitatively different about her. Listen, let's not remove Sinai from our reality. Let's not remove the transfiguration from the possibilities. God in Christ shines his glorious grace upon all who confess him as Lord. And we are changed when he does. We will be transformed when we are in the presence of God. There can be no mistaking that those who live in this way will reflect to the world the grace and the truth of this God my friends he is here this is glory he has not veiled himself you can know him you can know him you can be transformed by him it doesn't matter your age it doesn't matter how much you know and don't know not everybody can be as cool as me I know that Too much laughing for that joke. There's a measure of laughing that makes the joke funny because you're laughing with me, and then it goes above, means you're laughing at me. (laughs) Know the difference. Not a biblical word, but a word we use, Shekinah glory. A glory that Peter beholds and he's afraid. Did you pay attention to the text? Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three dwellings here one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright light, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, beloved with him. I'm well pleased, listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, do not be afraid. And then this catches and takes my breath away. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. If the transfiguration does anything for these disciples, it teaches them this that Jesus is enough. Oh, you see, in the old, we tried the law. And boy, those prophets, they preached 10 times better than I could ever. Moses came down the mountain with the law. His face alit with the glory of God. And what do they do? They build a golden calf. You see, Moses, as significant as he was to the people of Israel, could not impress the law upon their hearts. And, and prophets like Elijah, as... Profound and as committed and dedicated and as filled with God's spirit as he was, could not get their ears to, 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 to attend to the ways of God. But Jesus himself, as he is the lone man standing on the mountain with those three, says, here is your hope. My friends, the reason why Jesus is our hope is because we cannot save ourselves. The reason why Jesus is our hope, because he gives us a life that is filled with the Spirit of God. The reason Jesus is the central figure of our faith is because he does for us what we cannot do, no matter how hard we try. Some of you are tired of striving, fatigued, You've been walking this journey a long time. You've been been, faithful in your own way. You've been giving it all you got. And in the back of your mind, you say, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working, but I don't still feel the approval of God. I, I still don't feel like I'm accepted. Can I say this to you? Do not work for such approval, but receive it today and invite Him to renew your heart and your mind, to give him a chance to make himself known in a way that you just didn't believe is possible. This great God in Christ tears and breaks down the dividing walls. Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, my church family, my friends, <laughs> do you know him? You see, um, for some of us, we we can come down the mountain, and we've been down the mountain. Have you ever been in the valley? There's lots of you. You you have the scars. You've been in the dry places. You've been in the difficult times. I, I want our youth to hear me say this in particular. And by youth, I refer to anyone who considers themselves young. That includes Joel Tyson. But he's coming close. He's coming close to where you will feel what I feel in the mornings when you wake up. I want to say to the young people... God has not promised that life would always be mountaintop experiences. That is not the Christian teaching. And when I say valleys, I want you to understand something. I'm not just talking about a bad time in your life. I'm talking about when things go wrong. There's some of you sitting in this room who know this to be true. Sometimes the valleys, the wanderings in the desert can feel like endlessness, hopelessness. You see, why we look at Jesus is because Jesus, he too would go into the desert. And unlike Israel and even Moses, its leader, he would not stutter and stumble and fail. But he would stand In the face of temptation and in the face of all that was trying to dissuade him from the calling of God upon his life. And he would remain faithful. Why? So that you and I, even in the values, can know he is the one that can bring us through. So as dark as the the night, as hard as the valley, and they come... You know what the temptation is I have when, when I'm on the mountaintop? I'm going, how do I make this last? <laughs> I'm Peter. <laughs> how, do I, how do I keep living here? And, and, I, and I want to say to young people, if you think that that's all there is to Christian faith, you, you miss it and you lack the resource and the faith to believe that even when life is unfair, God still loves you and He's still with you. he's still faithful he's still there and he walks beside us this is the word of the lord and this morning as i finish the sermon i do so looking at these emblems these emblems these symbols of christ himself uh, you know there I get together with some friends, and we talk about Scripture. I get to do that as a part of my job. What a wonderful delight. And this past week, a friend of mine reminded me that the glory of God is, is present to those who in faith come before Him. And in simple and in ordinary places like church buildings like this and sacraments like this, would we choose to believe today? that he is present by his spirit. That as we as a church come and receive even these elements that for many of us can just be something we do and we hope we don't drop it, could be a powerful response and an incredibly life-transforming experience when we do so in faith that God makes himself known to us. I want to invite the worship team, and as they come, I want to invite Dawn to come and Brenda to come, and those who are going to be serving us this morning. I'm sure I had a hanky. I grew up in a a church in which uh, the altars were used for prayer, for repentance, for confession, for uh, family times of prayer, for healing. And it's taken me a while to accept that, you know, culturally things are different here. The altars sometimes are much more symbolic than they are actually, in my experience, used as we did in the church. You do not have to come to an altar to show that you are contrite, or you're confessional, or that you desire God's presence. But this morning, you are given an opportunity to respond physically with your body to the grace of God that is given to you. And the only thing we ask in our denomination and in our church is that you do so with a sincere heart, knowing what these things mean. It doesn't mean that you are sitting there perfect, And it doesn't mean that you have not, perhaps at times, even failed to live up to what God wants for you. But this this meal is the kind of symbol that, that teaches us that through Christ, God comes to us in our brokenness and in our unworthiness. And he gives himself completely. The God who is revealed through Jesus is the one who truly comes to us today and invites us to simply receive from him. So what is it that you need today? What is it that your soul longs for today? Think about that. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? The scripture says, He is the bread of life and He is the living water. When you come, and I think it's just a marvelous symbol, isn't it? There's so little of both of it, and yet it represents the very fullness of God. Come now. Leave to your right. Do I have that right? I believe I do. Leave to your right. I have that right, Pastor Don. And return on the left-hand side. And these folks who have been asked to serve you will do so in the love and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hold on to the emblems. At the end, I will come and invite us all to participate together. After which we will pray and conclude our service. Come now. Would you stand with me and receive these elements?